0: Welcome to Inside the Economy with SHNJ. Presented by Larry House of Sharky House and Jaber. Learn more about Sharky House and Jaber at shwj.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to focus today on a discussion about U.S. consumer and the likelihood of another recession in the near future. But quick look at the numbers. Inflation, CPI inflation, is trying to stay in the twos. We've talked about this a lot. And headline is up there. Most of that was driven by an amazing, quick, slight increase in gasoline, almost nothing else. I don't think that's going to hold. The PCE, the primary indicator of cost of living, and the one the Fed watches, is rock steady at 1.6, a little below where they want it. Unemployment is unexciting. Crude oil was almost almost at $55 for a day. It's back down in the 53s. Euro is continuing to creep a little bit weaker, and those of you who study the Treasury yield curve, like I do, would suggest that the 13-week the has dropped in anticipation of the Fed raising rates, possibly this month, somewhere around the middle of March. Not that it's particularly important. The market's already accommodated all of that. And the drive for mortgages to get cheaper and go back into the threes really didn't happen. We're still in the low fours. Quick reminder, most of the recessions we've had in the U.S. have really been caused by bubbles, Uh, subprime mortgages, the Internet boom, the stock bubble, even those of us that remember the S&L lending bubble. We're uh, driven by these, and recessions are caused by these bubbles popping and slowing the economy down. So I guess the question is, and I've been looking around, what is out there brewing into a bubble today? S&P 500, uh, I quote a very interesting technical term, risk layering in auto loans, which is a nice way of saying, disguising low quality borrowers in a pool of higher quality borrowers, lending covenants, goes on and so forth. There really isn't much of a bubble brewing anywhere a month ago, I tell you, there was a, be- a beginning of a bubble in commercial real estate, and I think some of that is already cooling off. Right now, the chances of recession in the near future is unlikely. If you want to measure it in presidential terms, uh, there's probably a 25% chance that President Trump will have a recession during his, well, let's go with the first term. So, The consumer, uh, starting off with debt, you've seen this before. The only pieces of debt that have been growing, and that's not significantly, has been student loans. That's up all the way to 10% of total debt outstanding. The majority of it is, in fact, mortgage. And that is, well, flat. The total debt in the U.S. is back to where it was just before the Great Recession in the end of 2007, 2008. There are some significant differences. This being a huge one. Remember the old term, gee, people use their houses as ATMs. Uh, Technically, the term is uh, mortgage change due to junior lien activity, junior lien activity are the rapid and sometimes no-doc second mortgages or third mortgages. And the red line here is basically how quickly people pull money out of their homes as the value increased up until about 2006. Then when uh, the bubble popped, 2008, zip, down it goes, no more pulling money out of something that doesn't have any money in it. Since then, what has happened is the value of these homes... And the basic equity in homes in the United States is about 13 trillion, a little over 13 trillion. But you notice the amount of money that gets pulled out of there, and this is on an annual basis, is nothing compared to what it was. That's actual equity sitting in there, basically doing nothing for the economy. But it is a clear change in the spending habits of the consumer about where they get their money. Delinquencies, and we've been watching this, are all headed significantly down. Mortgage especially is headed down to new lows. Credit cards are below 7% now. That can go a little bit lower, but not much. And autos is probably the only thing out there right now. Everybody and their brother has been out buying cars, and a certain percentage of those couldn't afford the cars they bought, and that's starting to come home to roost. As the Inventories build, in all the car manufacturers due to slightly slowing sales, this number is creeping up. Uh, The delinquency number is nothing significant. It's just different from what it was. Banks here and their willingness to make loans, that has been creeping down since 2010. uh, As they've adopted the lending standards, basically back to the 50s under Dodd-Frank, it is reflected in their, quote, willingness, meaning if you don't meet their criteria, they're not willing to lend you money. And in consumer installment here, which is not a particularly rapid-growing area of the market, banks are trying to get out of that business. Uh, And they do it this way, tightening lending standards. And they've been tightening. They loosened up a lot in 2011, 2012, as things were cheering up, but they continue to get tighter. That's more cash required, more down, harder to get a credit card, harder to get a car, the rest of that stuff. I think we're going to go through a tightening cycle here. Uh, We're probably starting another one right now. Now, the income side, which is indicative of what I describe as the singular most important economic unit in the globe, and that's the US consumer. This is the US consumer. This is what you get at the end of an inflation cycle. On the left-hand side, which is basically about 1978, those are the percentages. And their income is this inflation-adjusted. This is definitely inflation-adjusted, absolutely. Inflation-adjusted means less when your inflation cycle is ending. And this is the time period when the inflation cycle is ending. It's over by 2002. So what you have is a lot of money. Here, this is probably the most important measure. This is, in fact, income. Inflation adjusted income, there's now a measurable group of people that make over $350,000. Uh, before 1995, that group was so small it didn't even show up in the statistics. The rest of the numbers, like what we would call the poor or near poor, that's under $30,000 a year, that percentage has been shrinking. The lower middle class has been shrinking. Uh, The middle class, 50 to $100,000 household, and this is for a family of three, so this household money is shrinking. What's been growing the most is the upper middle, the 100 to 350,000 a year. Uh, big numbers, a lot of income. One of the advantages of the end of an inflation cycle. That's where we are. Those people have a lot more money than they had to spend even 10 years ago. And looking at what we've discussed previously, they are spending very prudently. No inflation, nothing driving them to go out there and buy something. It's just sort of let's see what happens next. Now, I don't call that Dullsville, I call that prudence. Here's the other side of the coin, and this is one of the reasons I'm not the least bit concerned about the commercial real estate market. And commercial real estate is driven primarily by foreign money, it always has been. This is the billions going into commercial real estate over the time period. And this is from where? Europe, Canada, Middle East, Asia, Australia, Latin America. I mean, those don't change very much. But those huge piles of money coming into the U.S. go into office buildings, strip shots, golf courses, uh, all kinds of things. The commercial real estate market, pushing it into bubbles. And just recently, in the last about four months— Not only has that money cooled, and that's mostly from China due to restrictions on taking capital out of China, it's cooled everywhere. One, it's way too expensive for a weaker currency, and everybody up here has a weaker currency than the dollar. It's much too expensive to come into an economy with a very strong currency and make any money buying into their stuff. It's going to cool. It's probably going to bring commercial property down in value a little bit, which is fine with me, just cooling a bubble. Uh, And the other side of the coin, what's continuing to go on in China is significant. Uh, The fact they still own fewer U.S. treasuries and all the billions that they've sold have had no impact on the market, as predicted, but they... Still continue to sell their most valuable asset, and that's U.S. Treasuries. Big numbers. They are coming up on 200 billion here pretty soon and working very hard at keeping money from fleeing the country. Why have they been selling off U.S. Treasuries? The U.S. Treasuries are the only truly liquid asset they have available to anyone and very attractive to everyone on the globe. Even their own yuan-based assets, there's a lot of people who don't touch it, and they don't have that many euros. As we've discussed several times in the past, it's the treasury market that is the market. What are they using the money for? What are the Chinese using their money for? They're supporting their currency, the yuan. They put money into the banking system. They put money into their own spending, using their assets to keep the yuan from a precipitous fall which it is capable of doing well it's capable it's not very likely but it's capable of going down to 4 when it the chinese have been trying to keep it 9 9 and a quarter for decades so there isn't a lot of other bubbling financial information we are looking out for the bubbles and the imbalances out there uh More later. Thank you.